We stay together, we survive. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Stick together. In the name of unit cohesion. Cohesion. You are listening to the Cohesion Podcast. Actionable tips from internal comms leaders on how to improve your company's employee experience. This episode features an interview with Chase Warrington, head of remote at Doist, a leading remote first company. Having worked remotely since 2009, Chase has managed teams across all time zones and is passionate about the future of work. He has been named a LinkedIn top voice for remote work, a global top 50 remote enabler by remote.com, and is a frequent contributor to the world's top remote work outlets, such as Forbes, BBC, and AP. In this episode, Amanda and Chase dive into remote work, discussing challenges, experience, and what companies get wrong. Before we dive into the interview, here's a brief word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Simpler, the leading AI-powered employee experience platform. We are on a mission to transform the work experience for billions of people across the world. Organizations use our products to deliver personalized experiences that inspire and engage their employees. When work is good, life is better. Learn more at simpler.com. That's S-I-M-P-P-L-R.com. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation between Chase Warrington, head of remote at Doist, and your host, Amanda Berry, corporate brand and communications manager at Simpler. Chase, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. I've been super excited to talk to you uh, because this idea of remote work culture has really been invading, I know, my life and the life of our listeners for quite a while. So it's really great to have an expert like you on to sort of help us understand and how to do it really well. But I want to first start off and understand just a little bit more about you. So will you talk about your career journey and how you got to where you are today? So I, I think I'm one of those people that has finally arrived to a point in their career where they feel like they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, which is a, a great thing to be able to say. And I'm very thankful for that. I was always very passionate for, I, I guess, lack of a better word, about the movement towards remote work and have always worked remotely. But I've seen the full spectrum of remote work from afar as a spectator. And then in my entire career since 2009, I've, I've been working remotely in different environments, hybrid, remote first, all forms of distributed work. So I've seen the good and the bad and in different types of roles, you know, as someone who is sort of an outsider being being one of those people in a hybrid organization that wasn't in the main office and getting to experience what that was like, somebody who's been working for a remote first company and seeing what that looks like and really optimizing for remote work. And so I've arrived at this point now where I'm I'm really excited about making it work for the long term and at a really really high level. And and so, you know, over 13 or 14 years of working remotely on five or so different continents with people around the world, I, I guess I've I've learned a few things about what works and what doesn't. And it's it's fun to be able to share that with our team and, and with other teams as well. I just want to let everyone know how I came across your name. We I saw an article where you were interviewed about being head of remote at Jewist. And it just sort of struck me like we're moving towards a really great space where we have people like you who are helping focus on that remote culture and the remote employee experience. Can you just tell us a, a little bit about what you do at Jewist as head of remote? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, it is definitely a, a new-ish role. You know, there's not a, a ton of people out there with this title or, or, you know, there's variations of it. There's head of remote and VP of remote and remote lead and all sorts of things. So there are people out there and you're seeing more and more companies invest in this type of role. And so really what we do is it, it varies a lot company to company. I've, I've talked with a lot of these people at different organizations who have a similar role, and it really does vary so much depending on where the organization is and their movement towards distributed work and, and how big they are and how distributed they are and where they're coming from, the types of products they build. So it varies quite a bit. But in, in my case, Duist is a little bit of a, an oddball within this that we were already remote first. We've been a, a remote first company for 15 years since since we began to exist. And so we weren't coming through some hardcore transition from an office-based environment to a remote environment or anything like that. What it was for us is that remote is, is so core to our DNA as a company that we decided, you know, the landscape has changed quite a bit through the pandemic. I mean, when we were pre-pandemic, we were operating in an environment where it was so rare to be a distributed team, to be a fully remote team, that there weren't products that served us. There weren't, you know, special services there. There weren't a lot of consultants helping those companies figure it out. We were just kind of like Wild West, just figuring it out as we went. And, and that's changed now, which is awesome. There's tons of new products emerging. There's lots of companies sharing best practices and ideas about how to do this at a better level. There's whole new product segments existing now that didn't exist before. So what we said was, let's have somebody lead that charge for us. We want to be the very best in the world at doing remote work. And so let's have somebody take that charge and, and carry it forward and, and make sure that we're doing that. And so that's, you know, broad stroke. That's what we wanted to do. And then there's a lot of nuance within in the details. Yeah, I, I definitely want to dig in on those nuances. I know I have a million questions because as someone who's experienced remote work and have, you know, it's one of those things where I feel like I can see that I don't know what it means to do it well, but I know that this isn't it. So it's kind of what I've seen, you know, some places, how, how it's been done. So I'm, really, I'm looking forward to digging into the details. But let's move into our first segment, story time. So with that title, Head of Remote, I'm just curious if there was a moment or something you've seen across your life, a moment where you go, I'm interested in really digging into remote work and helping make this better. And it could have been something pandemics, you know, that started or something that you've seen of across your career or childhood. Just curious if you have something you can point to. Actually, it's, it's pretty cool you asked that question because I don't often get to mention this, but the first person that I knew that was a remote worker was my mom, actually. And she's kind of like a little superhero in this world for me because she turned her nursing career into a remote job. She really wanted to work from home. She wanted the whole like flexibility of her schedule. She hated the commute. So she managed to turn a nursing career into a work from home job like 25 years ago or something, which it, from today's vantage point is like insane <laughs> that, that, that she was yeah, able to they, do they that. Probably, you know, using <laughs> dial up to, to, to yeah, log in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I don't know how she did it, but she, she made it work. And beyond that, she ended up getting a four day work week, which is a whole nother thing. But anyway, but it was a horrible experience, to be honest. Like she, I saw it took a terrible toll on her. It was one of those toxic environments where she was one of the outsiders trying to just prove that she was working had to ask to go to the bathroom, had to be online at all times, day and night, answer things immediately. And so I think it just planted this seed in my mind, like, you know, the very worst of remote is really, really bad. And I hear people complaining about remote work and I, and I feel for them because I, 
I understand. I'm lucky that I work at a company that that invests in it and wants to make it work. So we we do all the things to make that happen. But a lot of companies don't. And a lot of people have experienced that version of remote that does kind of suck. Like, let's just be honest, it is not really pleasant. You know, I didn't know it at the time, of course, and I probably didn't even know it until recently. But I think that's always stuck with me and, and been something that I that I looked for even in my very first job coming out of college, like I'm going to find a company that's not just going to allow me to work remote, which was a big filter at the time in 2009 anyway, or 2008 anyway, but then someone who's going to let me do this and also let me thrive. And so that, that came with a lot of sacrifice. And I think one of the things that really motivates me now is that I don't want people to have to make those sacrifices. It seems ridiculous for knowledge workers to have to sacrifice career, money, family, whatever the case may be, where they want to live just for their job when their job can be done from anywhere. So that that kind of motivates me to today, I think. Did you talk to your mom about what you do and, and get advice from her as you're designing software yeah. or whatever you're doing? Yeah. <laughs> she thinks it's so cool. Yeah. She's like, oh, I wish we would have had this. You know, I mean, it, it really was a, a long chapter in her life. But that's the thing is, you know, for, for her, she persevered through it. She made one of those massive sacrifices just to have that flexibility, just to eliminate the commute, essentially. And it was horrible, but that's what you did, you know? And I've seen other people, myself included, you know, take big pay cuts to, for, for more flexibility and, and things like that. So yeah. I just, I think it's nice to see those shackles kind of being removed and saying, no, you can actually do this from anywhere. And, and we're going to not just do it, but we're going to make it a really great experience for you too. Yeah. Something you said just now, I, I was reading something you wrote. I think it was for Forbes. I, I believe that's what it was for. And it really stood out to me. It's a quote that says, quote, there are companies that offer remote work and there are companies that make sure remote employees thrive. And I think that is such an interesting nuance. And it really got me thinking, you know, when I think about my friends now who are looking for jobs and they want remote and they just type in type industry and then remote. And, and it really struck me that that's almost that next level of when you're interviewing for a job to, to talk about that. But I was wondering if you would just help us understand the nuance behind that statement, because it was a real aha moment for me, just, just forward thinking. I thought it was a really, really smart quote, and I really liked it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the, the next step that a lot of companies, this is what's really exciting about this whole movement. You, you had these knee-jerk reactions to the pandemic, right, where tens of millions, hundreds of millions of companies suddenly had to go to some form of remote work and just figure it out. And and that's, you know, like we mentioned earlier, that's something that a lot of people have experienced to this point, which probably wasn't very great. And then there was this like second chapter that came sort of towards the a, a year or two later, which was like, hey, this actually works, you know, a fair percentage of those companies. So this actually works on some level or another. We're going to invest in doing this for the long term, not just this knee-jerk reaction. And so that was that was one step. And now we're getting to this stage where a big percentage of those companies are saying, let's really optimize this. Like, let's not just push through it because our employees demand it or because we're afraid we're going to lose people. We're kind of doing it begrudgingly. They're doing it with a lot of intention and enthusiasm and, and really a high level of investment. When I see companies doing that, what they're doing is they're optimizing their tool set, for example. You know, they're not just copying and pasting what they were doing in the office and trying to throw it on Zoom or throw it in Slack and just see what happens. They're thinking about how do we want to work day to day? You know, what does our version of the one-on-one -on -one look like right now? Or what does the brainstorming session look like? Or how do we build social capital as a team and connection and, you know, human connection and things like that, like beyond just the work. And so 
those are those little tweaks that are happening now and those those levers being pulled that I think are are paying a lot of dividends for the people on the ground that are you know now getting into that next phase of what remote can be like. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned you just mentioned about like throwing in a, in a Zoom. I know my past experience. I worked at a company a few companies ago. They had remote workers, but it was a real sort of afterthought, unfortunately, because <laughs> most of us were in the office. So we'd be like, "Oh no, we forgot to add a virtual meeting for so and so. Oh, and we forgot to send them the handouts. They haven't even looked at it yet." So. That was a real afterthought, and then it wasn't a good experience because we weren't interacting with with those folks that are on the phone. It was like a conversation in the room, and then they would always like be able to chime in. You, you could just feel that it wasn't done well. And and then you point out this like a lot of people went remote for you know the pandemic, and what I, my experience was is, oh, okay, well we'll just do employee onboarding now and add a Zoom. We'll just put it over Zoom now, <laughs> and not really any thought. And you know, reading your stuff, one of the things that stuck out to me is you mentioned that asynchronous time or, you know, employees not having the ability just to go up to someone's desk and be like, especially as a new employee, hey, how do I use the copier or code? Or, you know, where do I get this? Or, you know, where's where's the office supplies? So you miss a lot of stuff, just those interactions. And then the thought that they can just add a Zoom to meetings and make it better, like, like an employee onboarding experience. And I don't know, have you talked to a lot of people? Have they talked about like something like an employee onboarding where it has to be more than just adding Zoom or, or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so a, a couple things like you you nailed it with a, a few points here in particular. So one is that the leading remote companies, like if you study the ones that are doing this at a really high level and, and doing it at scale, you know, with hundreds and thousands of, of employees, they're very focused on asynchronous communication. So with asynchronous communication, you're talking about non-instant communication, like the being in the conference room together physically is the most synchronous thing you can do and sending a, a message on a chat and not getting anything back for 72 hours is the most asynchronous thing you can do. And so there are companies on different ends of that spectrum and, and you know, all different places in between and how they handle their business every day. But the ones that are doing it at a really high level tend to be on the side of the spectrum that's more asynchronous. So that's really great for work, but it really does help people focus. It keeps people from being addicted to their chat tools and just trying to quote unquote show up to work and allows them to get into like a deep work state of mind where they can get a lot done, be very productive. It also forces some things like, you know, forces you to stop focusing on whether or not someone's present, but more so what are they producing? And so it creates this whole environment that's focused on outputs instead of inputs. And there's there's other things with that. But the downside is that you miss a lot of that serendipitous conversation that you would have you know, that we like mentioning the word, the phrase social capital, again, you miss those just like connections that would happen, those little aha moments or little interactions that might happen, the proverbial like water cooler that a lot of people refer to. And so that's where you have to come in and you have to intentionally create that. Like that doesn't just ignite and just happen with, without some, some purpose and intention there. And that's, that is something that a lot of remote companies that are, that are trying to do this well, invest a lot in. The other thing they invest in to prevent you from having to go tap on someone's virtual shoulder to figure out how to use the copier is a system of a lot of documentation. Most really well done remote companies are very document oriented and they have a lot of documentation stored in a transparent place where everybody can be a documentarian, everybody can edit and adjust those files and access those files. They're not locked behind some wall and everything is very wide open and public. And so all those things kind of working together 
make it work. <laughs> you asked about onboarding too. And I just want to say at Duist, we actually went, we're a fully remote company, very, very asynchronous. And we actually incorporated a very human element. We pair our new hires up with a mentor and then we actually fly them to go meet their mentor and do a mentorship trip wherever they are in the world. And they go spend a week together in person. So there's two things associated with that is one, you have to really really nail your onboarding. And, and we've worked very, very hard at that to make it work with a combination of asynchronous and then the most synchronous thing you can do by putting people together. And then also just understand that remote first doesn't mean remote only. You can have that that human element involved. And, and we sprinkle that in throughout our culture just with the mentorship trip during onboarding being the first interaction. Yeah, let me follow up on that because I'm curious what your relationships like for people. I'm assuming you work with HR, IT, all these different departments, probably leaders, maybe people managers. Can you talk about what that looks like for you and how how you build these relationships and how often you work with some of these folks? Like who are your who are your main counterparts in other departments? Yeah, this is so interesting and one of the only things that I've noticed with the other people in a similar position at at other companies is that we're very cross-functional by nature. So it's like, you're not going to work in a silo. I'm a team of one, which is a little bit weird for me at, at this point. I'm used to having like a team around me, but I don't feel like a team of one at all. I'm, I'm attached to the people ops team and the finance team and the marketing team and even the product teams and, and such to an extent. So I sit on the, under our COO on the operations comp- side of the company and and I'm connected to to that side so I work a lot with with those teams but I really feel like I work across the the whole company I mean the idea is to make a very central part of our company DNA operate at a really high rate and so it just involves touching every every area of the company and I'm going to move us into our next segment getting tactical I'm trying to figure out tactics and to be perfectly honest I didn't have to worry about tactics too much here I am in charge and trying to say, why did you sleep through tactics? Tactics. So you clearly have a very strong understanding of remote culture. What are some of the big problems you find you're solving for when it comes to remote first? <laughs> One of the, the challenges that we have to face at Duist is that we have been built as a very asynchronous company from the very beginning. And this is super unique compared to people that I talk to at other companies who are trying to infuse, trying to pull people out of the, the sync world where you're, you're used to being in an office and now you're trying to put them in this virtual world and teach them how to do asynchronous work. We've been so indoctrinated in the async world and now there's some really great collaboration tools and practices being shared that, that showcase how you can have a, a balance of the two, a little bit more synchronicity on top of the the asynchronous foundation, I guess might be a way to phrase it. And so that's one of the challenges that's that's odd and kind of unique to do is just that we're trying to actually infuse a little bit more human connection, more more time for people to to connect both around their work and you know for personal reasons and give them a chance to collaborate in a more synchronous environment. So that that's something I I think connected to that is, you know, last year we we brought people back together again in person for the first time since pre-pandemic. Prior to that, we were doing company retreats every year, and we had just started doing what we called mini retreats, which were like little individual team meetings twice a year. So every six months, you you could look forward to spending a week with your teammates. And then we'd gone many years because of the pandemic without being able to do that. And so that was really hard. I mean, we had like 
30% of our company had never met another teammate before, never spent any time together in person. And I mentioned that, you know, remote first doesn't mean remote only thing. That's really important to us. We see it as a core part of the kind of remote infrastructure and doing it in a sustainable way. So we we had to figure out how to do that, you know, in the <laughs> pandemic still kind of going on and figure out, you know, this is something that's important to our to our company. So how do we make this happen? And And I think that just kind of speaks to what I hear a lot from other remote leaders that is that they're they're investing a lot in building team camaraderie and connection and you know we've, we've got a lot of the tools in place we've got a lot of the the practices in place there's lots of things to tweak within that but that connection bit is what's being kind of tagged as the big challenge that people are trying to overcome and that's what the detractors of remote work are kind of attacking so you're trying to figure out how to do that really well now these days yeah. It's funny you mentioned that you you get folks together still for, for team meetings and retreats or, you know, you did at least pre-pandemic. Because I know when, I, when I've when i met my coworkers, and I'm sure, you know, listeners can identify with this, when you meet a coworker in person, even if we've done this, you know, this almost like what we're doing, this face-to-face, but through a video, when you meet someone, it's like a whole different experience, you know? Oh my gosh, I didn't know you were so tall! Or things <laughs> like that, you know, come up. Or just the joy of and the excitement of seeing someone in person. So I, I, I love that you have that sort of core principle that even though you're remote first, you still get people together because it does it does change your relationship with folks. It does, yeah. And that, and that really does help I mean, there's a tangible effect to that, like on the bottom line and the company's health, you know, it doesn't just sound nice. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, who's going to who's going to say anything bad about that? Like, of course, we want people to get together and to like their teammates, but it comes at a significant cost. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, you, you're remote, so you don't have office leases and bills, utility bills and things like that. We probably, you know, spend all the money that we would spend on that and bringing people from 35 different countries to, to one place twice a year. And so we want to be remote because we want to be remote, not because of the cost savings. And then any cost savings that we do incur, we probably reinvest in, in these things. So it's important for people to recognize that, I think, because it does come, especially as you get more and more distributed, it, it becomes quite costly, but we think it's worth every penny. Absolutely. What are some of the top things that you see companies getting wrong when it comes to remote work? I mean, we've talked about a couple, but there's some some quick ones we can just pinpoint and maybe talk, maybe even talk about how do us or thoughts that you have on how to start solving for some of those. One of the first ones that I always see the the knee jerk reaction to doing is taking everything that you were doing in the office and then just throwing it into the digital world. And we we kind of touched on this already, but I think it's worth reiterating. I've heard somebody else say that you have to pressure test every single aspect of your business to make sure that it's built for the new world that you're in and not the old world. And and I think that's true. You know, the, the tools you use and the and the way in which you're you're gonna do every little thing has probably shifted. And if you just try to recycle old ways of doing things, you're probably not going to get a, a great result. So if you're getting a mediocre result, ask yourself have you by chance just fallen into the trap of saying, oh, we're just going to throw everything in a Zoom account or a Slack account or whatever? Have you have you rethought how you're going to work day to day? That That's one. I think another one is is going very, I've, I've used this word a lot already, but very synchronous. You, see, you hear horror stories about people spending eight hours on Zoom calls and just feeling like they can't get out of Zoom and they never really get any real work done. Meetings, I think I've seen some st- statistics recently that showed like, Meetings have surged like 40% in 
since pre-pandemic. And m- much of that is is happening because everybody's armed with a Zoom account now. So fighting that inclination to to go very s- synchronous and to jump into Zoom calls and to put everything in a meeting is, is something else that you see quite a bit. I think the third thing is, is connected to that, but it's expecting immediate responses. Mm. So you see people that are just, they never get to their work because they're constantly being pulled into chat conversations. There's some statistic that shows like every time you're distracted from what you're doing, it takes you 23 minutes to reverse that and to get back into the flow of whatever you're doing. So if you're writing a blog post and then you keep getting pulled into chat conversations, it's costing you hours every day to get back into the flow. And this is detrimental on the, when you extrapolate that out across, you know, tens or hundreds or thousands of employees, it's pretty brutal. So but aside from just being, you know, personally a sad way to work every day, it's, it's hard on the company's bottom line as well. Yeah, I, I know. I can. I've, I've experienced that as well. You wrote an article. I think it was just, it was about how to do remote work really well. And one of those, you had like a clip of an email, I'm assuming from like a people manager to their employees or to their employee, where they outline these like very strict, rigid rules. Like you need to respond to Slack within 10 minutes and you need to turn your phone ringer on and answer it. This is not the time to screen your phone calls. And it it really took me back because I've worked for people like that and just how it does affect your work because you're so worried about missing a, a message that you're not able just to stop, cut yourself off. And like you said, like write a blog post, right? Or build a presentation or whatever it is you do. That really reminded me of how far I know I've come. But then I wondered maybe for me, like a fourth one for your list is, should we be training people managers on how to do this stuff better? Because it really starts at that, I would call like a grassroots level. If your manager is not good and doesn't know how to do a remote work, but the company still promotes remote first, there's still going to be a huge disconnect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's worth investing in. And at Duist, I don't think this is so necessary for, you know, my role isn't to train other managers because we've raised those managers up that have kind of grown up in this environment. But I think if you're, if you're making that transition, then it's worth investing in someone that can help lead your leaders on how to do this remotely. And if nothing else, there's there's some amazing consultants out there that specialize in exactly this. There's some incredible, you know, workshop leaders and people who can just give you some basic skills to to tweak the way that you're going to approach leadership, workshop facilitation, meeting facilitation, collaboration in the virtual space. All these things are just a bit different. And and not always better either. I think that's like okay to admit. You know, we just got back from a leadership retreat where we brought all our leaders together into one place. And we got so much done in like four or five days. And and there were some things that just wouldn't have come out of the virtual world in the same amount of time. But because we were there, because we were jamming on ideas and using tools and, you know, physical space together, certain things came out of that. And so we we can compensate for that in the virtual world. There are ways to come around and, and do that, but it takes some some effort and some, I guess, intentionality again is the word. Yeah, you know, as I'm listening to you, it just strikes me that, and I'd love to have your perspective on this. We spend a lot of time talking about the employee experience and work culture. There needs to be a big understanding or agreement that there's remote culture, there's in-person culture, there's remote experience, employee experience, there's in-person employee experience. And I don't feel like there's a lot being talked about just that topic Folks like you who work in that space, head of remote and really champion remote work, 
I'm sure you have to have opinions about this, but I feel like we're talking so broadly with this idea of employee experience and work culture. We almost have to start breaking it down into these sort of subsets. Yeah, I wasn't sure if we'd if we'd get to this somewhere along the way, but I, so I'm happy you ask about it. We mentioned a few points before that you, what do you see companies struggling with in this area? And I think I, I thought about mentioning it then is like the the fourth point that I might have made was this idea that you have to create different experiences for different groups. And I think what you should be striving for is a location agnostic approach where people, if I show up and I work at the main office, my experience should almost feel exactly as if I worked from home or if I was working from a cafe in Paris or whatever it might be. You're not going to achieve that necessarily, but striving for that is the key. And so if you're trying to do that, then you're giving everybody a, a very similar experience. You're also serving the company really well because you're not investing in creating different types of experiences. Just use like the tool sets that, you know, the, the different apps that you're going to use to run your business on. If you have one that's really optimized for in-person collaboration, and then you have to have a whole nother one that's optimized for the virtual hybrid space, it gets very messy really quick. When do we use which one? Oh, we have one remote worker joining this meeting. What is the process for this now? And, and is this ideal anymore? It raises a lot of questions. And so, you know, I, I think striving for that Location agnostic experience is the best case scenario. It's like the North Star that you should be working towards, even if it seems almost impossible. It's it's getting more possible every day. Let me see if I can come up with an example. I, I love that you said that because as you're talking, it reminded me of, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who is the only remote person. And so when they go into even like to na- now, when they go into a, like a team meeting, everyone's in the room and they're on Zoom, but they're on the big screen, but they're still pretty much ignored. And I, I mentioned to this, to my friend, I said, why don't you tell them that they should do team meetings where everyone isn't in the room together and everyone stays on Zoom? Is that sort of what the that agnostic experience you're, you're speaking about? Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a, the stereotypical perfect example of like, let's just work towards a case where that's normalized and and in every sense of the way that we work. I'm going to move on to the next segment, Ripped from the Headlines. You hear the news? X-Street, X-Street, read all about it. Our stories ripped from the headlines. Ripped from the headlines. So we're not quite on the other side of the pandemic. We're just sort of living in it. And it's going to be this way for probably forever. But we're hearing leaders talk about the importance of returning to work. And that was really big multiple times during the pandemic. Oh, we're bringing everyone back in April. Oh, not April, because it's still bad. And and so now, then the, I feel like there was just a cutoff point where they said, we're going to start bringing people back because pro- productivity's hurt, collaboration's hurt, our work culture isn't what we hoped it would be. So I just wonder what your thoughts are about companies that are bringing people back for those reasons, especially since employees were saying, I'll quit. I'll quit my job if you bring me back. And I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's really hard to change. Like change is really tough. If you imagine yourself, you know, if you've been a leader or a manager for for 30 years, 40 years, you've built your career doing something a certain way. It's a lot to expect that person to suddenly see a totally different way of working. I mean, we have to put this shift in the context of like industrial revolution and agricultural revolution, but like not happening over like a decade or two decades or three decades, like happening almost overnight. While I don't necessarily agree with it all the time, I think there's sides to the coin where it's it's a little bit unfair to be so hyperbolic and say, you know, it's ridiculous that you would issue a back to office mandate. People have the reasons. In some cases, they're actually valid. 
And, and in some cases, it's just got to be imagined that that's, that's really huff, tough to change. There's, there's a lot of money on the line. There's a lot of, often a lot of real estate leases and, and costs that are, that are already on the balance sheets that people have to deal with. And so there's, and, and then there's a lot of legal stuff as well that's, that's a little bit risky for them to, to just dive in and just accept. So while we want to believe that, you know, everybody should just accept the, the new status quo and move on, I do understand the friction there. And, and I think it, it makes a lot of sense. What I would love to see those same leaders do, though, is to stop saying you can't build team culture in a remote environment or you can't collaborate or we can't do good brainstorming sessions or have good relationships with our employees or mentor our team because that is not true. And, and so you're, you're seeing it being done at scale now. I mean, companies with, you know, tens of thousands of employees going remote. I mean, we're a team of 100 and in 35 different countries. And at one time we were, we were, you know, seen to be one of the big ones that were doing fully remote work. And so it, it is being done. And I do think those companies will continue to see an exodus of talent if they don't invest in at least trying to make it work on some level. That would be my my bet. There's a lot of really smart people out there running really successful businesses that know better than me, perhaps, but that would be my bet. Let's move into our last segment, asking for a friend. I was asking for a friend. Hey, asking for a friend. What do you think the future of remote work or remote first work looks like? In, in the like near immediate future, I mean, it's, it's very clear, like 75% of companies are going to identify as hybrid. Hybrid is a very broad term, like you could have 10,000 employees at an office and one person working remotely. Are you hybrid? So I, I think we need some better terminology to define exactly what it what these different states of remote look like. But I think for sure, you're going to see a continued move towards more distribution, more flexibility in the workspace, more control over how you control your workday, not just where you work, but when you work, as you embrace more asynchronous communication and a focus on outputs and documentation and things like this, like sort of the core principles of remote work, you you find that it's very easy to make the next leap, which is to something called the nonlinear workday, where you're basically able to choose when you work, not just where you work. And, and as long as you're delivering, then you're, you know, then, you, then you're accepted as, as having done your work well. So that is the next phase. And I think where you'll see a lot of people go, I think the genie's out of the bottle in a way around, around flexibility. Every statistic you see shows people crave this and, and Gen Z coming behind is, is going to crave it even more than, than millennials did. So I think it involves a lot more flexibility, a lot more distribution, and the future is really bright for collaboration and creativity and, and team camaraderie because there's just a whole lot being developed in that space as well to make this even a much more pleasant experience. Well, I hope you're right, Chase. I, I, I agree with you. I, I think it looks really bright and and the changes will be for the best. So I'm, I'm excited about what's ahead. Since you're ahead of remote, if I have people out there listening who are HR or leaders in companies, is there a point, a certain point in a company's sort of life cycle where they should be looking into hiring ahead of remote? Now, maybe that's the number of remote employees or how long they've been having remote employees. Is there something that you can start help people checklist to say, now's the time for you to hire someone who's focused on that remote employee or remote first experience? I, I do wish I had like a very clear answer. It's it's so nuanced depending on where the company is, what their goals are, how they're distributed, 
and to what degree they want to, you know, move down one end of the spectrum or the other. In that sense, there's there's a really great article out there. It's more of a white paper, actually. It's by Remote.com and Distribute Consulting, which is a remote work consulting firm. And, and they put together this amazing white paper that really goes deep on this. So my first suggestion would be to go read that. Find that white paper and read it. And, and it talks a lot about the different spaces your company might be in and when it would make sense to bring somebody in and lead your remote work charge. But I, I think it's worth considering particularly for companies making the transition to, if you've made the commitment, we're going to move to some sort of a distributed model, which is a huge percentage of companies now. Like we're, we're talking, you know, probably 85% of companies are distributed in some way or another. If you're going to go in that direction, it's probably worth it to invest in having somebody make sure that you're doing it at a really high level. Even if on a, you know, a contract basis, having a consultant come in and look at your, at your tech stack and look at your processes and the infrastructure and think about how you're doing this very critically, I think it, it, just, it just makes so much sense. And I see it over and over again. So I would encourage you to, to consider that. Chase, this has been amazing. I've learned so much today and I'm sure our listeners have too. Before I let you go, I do want to ask you, because I know you're you're an expat. You live in Spain. I think you're in Germany right now. And I'm just wondering if you you can talk to or speak to the difference in, in remote first culture between like US and Spain or Germany or where, you know, wherever you you've been and done work. I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. One, one thing that's really interesting is like, I, I mentioned this earlier, Duist is we're 100 people from 35 countries, and only a couple people in the US. So I, a lot of people just tend to hear tech company, probably from San Francisco, US based, US centric, especially you hear another American guy talking. But in fact, I'm like the I'm, I'm just one of a couple Americans. And pretty much we have no concentration of people in any one country at Duist, where every third person's from a different country. So we're, we're very distributed. And, and in fact, the CEO and the COO who I report to are from Denmark. So it's, you know, got more European roots than it does American roots. But I, I will say, you know, I talk to a lot of people in the remote industry, we'll call it. And, and there does seem to be this mindset, you know, painting a broad stroke here, that the U.S. is moving quicker in the remote space. I hear this from other Europeans that I talk to who, who are kind of have this ambition to follow in the footsteps of what they're seeing happen in the U.S. And so I think there's something to be said there. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of innovation. There's a lot of pressure to do really well and to operate at a very high efficiency rate. And so I think that comes with acquiring talent, retaining talent, and, and making sure that everything works smoothly. And so I think that's why we're seeing that there. It's part of the competitive nature of, of the U.S. And so that's what it's producing. Great. Well, Chase, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to continuing to follow you, read, read the blogs and the thought leadership you put out there, because I think it's really insightful and it's really needed at this point. So thank you so much. Let our listeners know where they can find you. The, the best place to connect with me directly is on LinkedIn. I, I talk a good bit about remote work and what we're seeing in the industry and what we're doing at Duist internally and trying to share that and build in public on LinkedIn. So please connect with me there. I do a little bit of the same on Twitter. I'm trying, not succeeding, but trying. So Twitter's your thing. You find me there at, at DC Warrington. If any of the things I mentioned about asynchronous communication really resonated with you, we have this asynchronous communication newsletter 
that's also a community of thousands of people that are really passionate about making async work. And, and so you can find that it's the Twist Async newsletter if you want to type that into your search bar. This has been fantastic. And thank you for joining me. Thank you, Amanda. It was great. Thank you for listening to the Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler, the leading AI-powered employee experience platform. We are on a mission to transform the work experience for billions of people across the world. Organizations use our products to deliver personalized experiences that inspire and engage their employees. When work is good, life is better. Learn more at simpler.com. That's S-I-M-P-P-L-R.com. To all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, make sure to hit subscribe, leave a review, and head over to www.simpler.com slash podcast for more information. Until next time, you're listening to the Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler. See you in the next episode.